0: So, good morning. My name is Charlie, and along with my husband, Tim, we're going to be leading you through this seminar stream this week called Clear Christianity. Um, So, you may have signed up and know exactly why you're here and what you're coming to learn, or you may have just ticked a box and then gone, I don't know what this is. So, let me give you a quick intro to what we're doing. So, basically, we're going to be looking at a time called the Reformation, which is 500 years ago, when God decided to use certain people just to completely clear the decks of the Christian faith. So through this stream, we're going to be doing a bit of history. So we're going to be looking a little bit at what the Reformation is. So we're going to be looking at how the church in the West had really become all kinds of wrong, really. So we had popes who were taking mistresses and having families when they were supposed to be celibate. We have um, church leaders selling pieces of paper called indulgences to people who had no money in the belief that they could buy their family members and themselves out of purgatory. So we're going to hear a bit more about that today. We have a time when most people in... In England and in Europe, couldn't actually read scripture because scripture was all in Latin, and they didn't know Latin. So there's just all sorts of things going on in the church that were just not right, were corrupt. And then onto the stage, we have this German monk called Luther, who comes and he shakes everything up, which has wide implications for the world and for the church. And we're going to be looking at him through the course of this week, and we're going to be looking at several other um, heroes, really, of the Reformation. Um, we're going to be looking a little bit at theology. So we're going to be looking afresh at God's message. So the gospel we are told is good news, aren't we? So when Jesus is born, even maybe if you're new to Christianity, when Jesus is born, we know that an angel angels appear to shepherds in a field, and they say, "Behold, fear not. Behold, I bring you great news of um, good news of great joy that will be for all people." So the Reformation is really about reclaiming happiness and joy, which is supposed to be at the heart of the Christian message, and that's supposed to be for everyone. It's supposed to be good news. Um, And then you might be thinking, hold on a minute, so we're looking at something that's 500 years ago. So this is actually the beginning of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You might be thinking, well, is this going to be relevant to me? Am I just going to be sitting here in a history lecture or is this going to pack a punch for what I do in my life? Well, just to say this is definitely going to be relevant to you because actually these truths that the guys of the, Reforma- the guys and girls of the Reformation fought so hard to reclaim are still ones that are so pertinent for us today. We might be facing different issues and culturally we'll be miles apart, but actually the truth at the heart of the Christian faith is something that we need today. And we just, i just love to... Um, just encourage you to be excited about that and how God's going to just remind you of what it is to be a follower of him. So if you are a Christian in this room, I just would encourage you to expect God just to raise your faith, just to remind you of what it is to have good news in the gospel. If you're not a Christian here today, I just want to encourage you, or you're just looking in and thinking, I don't even know what this is about, just that you're going to hear some great news um, of of just glad tidings. It's It's a good thing. It's a good news. Um, So, let me just tell you a little bit about our lineup for the week. Um, So, Tim is going to be speaking to you today, but we also have um, Glenn Scrivener and Andrew Wilson, who are um, Christian writers. They're going to be with us this week. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you as well. Um, And we're just really excited about the week, and we think it's going to be a great time. And we'd just love to encourage you, really, just to listen in and allow God just to work in your heart. So, before I introduce Tim... Oh, Actually, let me tell you a bit about Tim. I know him. I'm married to him, but you don't know him. So let me tell you about him. So he, um, we're from Church of Christ the King in Brighton. Um, Tim heads up the preaching and research department there and also the internship, um, which I'm sure you'll hear a little bit more about as he begins to speak. So I'd just love to pray and then I'm going to hand over to him. Father, I thank you just for this opportunity of being together. I thank you for this opportunity just to look at your words, um, to hear about your truth. And today, really, to hear about your son, your amazing son who came to earth and died on the cross. Lord, we thank you that it's through your son that we can know you, we can be reconciled to you, we can know eternal life. Lord, I thank you that it's through your son. And Lord, today, if we're in the room and you might be thinking, oh, I don't even know really what I'm following. I don't really know what it is maybe even to be a Christian. Lord, I just pray that you bring clarity Lord, I pray that today we would just understand fully what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you'd come and um, just reveal your word to us, um, and we just pray that you would change our hearts and our lives through this um, seminar this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim, over to you.
1: Thanks very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're well. Hope you slept well. I slept adequately. I just want to reassure everyone, uh, all of my history and theology geek brethren, all of you who uh, might be worried by what Charlotte says, that we won't be doing loads of history, let me assure you we will. And uh, here we go. We're going to start off um, by talking about where the Reformation comes in history because it's it's important that you get this in your mind visually. So we've got the cross here around 30 AD, 2017 where we are. We're talking about 1517 when the Reformation begins And it begins, as Charlie said, with this fellow Martin Luther. That's not the guy who had a dream. Did have a dream, but not that one. So I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about him later on uh, in this session, after I get you to do a little bit of thinking amongst yourselves. Um, And we're going to pick a character each day, as she says, that that gives an example of a particular facet of the Reformation. And we're using what are called, I don't know if it says it in the programs, probably does, the five solars... There's five, uh, five points of doctrine which are used to describe what the Reformation was getting at when it came to describing the gospel. And um, today's one we're going to be talking about is Solus Christus, which means Christ alone. In Christ alone. It's to say that salvation is only in Christ. Now that might start triggering off a few things in your mind already with conversations that you have with people. Is salvation only in Christ? It, can you only be good with God? Things like that. Hold on to those. So, the Reformation involved the splitting of the church into the, the Western Church into these two wings, Protestant and Catholic. In case you're unsure, this we're in the Protestant wing here, but Catholic uh, brothers and sisters are still brothers and sisters. They're still Christians. They, they believe differently on certain points, and Protestants believe differently, but they still worship the same Christ. Okay, and we want to talk about the place that that Christ, that Lord, has in each flavour of Christianity so these are the solas that i'm talking about the five solas uh, to the glory of god alone christ alone faith alone grace alone scripture alone and for each of these you could you could put something before it like christianity is about or salvation is about and you could say salvation is only in christ salvation is only by faith it's only by grace it's only revealed to us in the scriptures these sort of these sort of things so the one that I'm focusing in on today is this one, Solus Christus, Christ alone, no other way, no other truth, no other life. So so far, so uncompromising, okay? I hope that figures in some of your conversations. And um, Martin Luther, as I say, he was born 1483, died 1546. I'll be telling you a little bit about him, but I thought a preview with a nice uh, profile shot there, just a good stern look about him. But firstly, I want you to get into twos and threes, And I want you to discuss this, and listen very carefully as I uh, set it out. Christianity, the clue is in the name, right, with Christianity, because Christ is the first part of it, Christianity. But Christianity has a habit of morphing and changing, and certainly by the time of the Reformation, it had morphed into something almost unrecognizable. It's basically this crazy power structure uh, that was used for keeping the poor down, it was used for taking money from people. The difference that they had in their time was that they, uh, by and large, everyone would self-describe as Christian in the Western world. That's something that's really different now. Most people won't do that in the Western world. But in in the time, 1517, people would self-describe as Christian, even though they didn't know what was being preached in the services. Literally, they didn't know. They didn't speak the same language. So the services were given in Latin, the mass as as it was where you would have the communion the centerpiece of of the service where you take the bread and the wine and they would basically treat it as kind of a magical thing that they were just they were doing a bit of of spell really that could atone for their sins that could make them right another way of them being made right is that they could pay money to the pope to get uh, to get loved ones and themselves time off of purgatory purgatory was a time after life where uh, they, they considered themselves being purified being made ready for heaven and actually what started off as quite a holy idea in a way that people wanted to talk about how they could be made holy quickly being became something really hellish so when when uh, the popes started talking about purgatory in the middle ages they started talking about it more in terms that made it sound a bit like uh, you know the foyer to hell rather than a way of being made pure to stand in front of god and something that you really wanted to avoid. Hence, they said, you can pay money to us, and that money will go to build the Basilica of St. Uh, Peter in, uh, in the Vatican City, and for that, you'll get this c- certificate called an indulgence, which says you can have time off from purgatory. And Luther was standing against that. I'm going to come back to that, but what I want us to just consider what can Christianity end up being about in our days, other than Christ? That's the question. Now listen, most people who are running churches or uh, who are in Christianity in one way or another are not going to say, we're no longer about Christ, now we're about good music or something like that. They're not, they're not going to say straight up, this is, this is what we're now about, right? They, they consider themselves to be about Christ. Of course they do, otherwise they would go and call themselves something else. But... Th- the church can get unmoored and it can start going off in other ways. It can start getting concerned with other things than the gospel. It can get, start getting far more worried about, well, X. And I want you to define X for me, really. Christianity, what sort of things can it end up being about in the 21st century apart from Christ? Okay, I'm going to give you five minutes on this. Groups of two, three, and elect a spokesman from among you especially um, if that spokesman is someone very extroverted and would like to come and share afterwards on the microphone. Who's got something that they would like to share with us? This question, what, what sort of thing can Christianity end up being about in the 21st century apart from Christ? Come up the front.
2: Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this may sound a bit funny, but um, we were discussing this in our group and uh, uh, it's almost like an expectation to have uh, teas and coffees at the end of um, the service and sometimes people are almost disgusted if it doesn't happen you know what i mean like that's that's basically one of them and um kind of give another idea yeah. well. um we also thought about uh ticking the boxes so some people almost go to church just because of guilt um and you know yeah that's it great thanks thank
1: you very good <laughs> very good so so uh, church becoming more about the, the club mentality, the, the trappings of it, the teas and coffees, which I think is nigh on essential, but not the point I'm looking to make this, this morning. Um, and yeah, ticking the boxes as well, kind of a, a cultural thing, a cultural Christianity. Perhaps that's less of a temptation for us 500 years on from a culture where literally everyone self-described as Christian, but it's something that still comes up, might still be an in- internal struggle. Any other ideas out there? Anyone else? Uh, To share on the mic. Yeah. You're welcome to come up
2: as well, by the way. Hi. Um, We were just saying that the church services themselves, like the worship can become like a performance sometimes, and we're worshipping how good it sounds rather than actually Jesus Um, so it's an obsession with making it bigger and bigger and more people and more instruments and sounding better and better quality musicians Um, and in the same way the preach can be about um, not what they're saying but kind of how good they are at saying it as well very good
1: thank you thanks very much very good so there again essential things necessary things worshipping God. Uh, but then the style of worship, the, the way that you do it, can almost become like an idol in itself. It starts getting too important. And even even the preaching, the things that you're saying, can end up being more about what you should do, how you should be, rather than what God has done, and ra- rather than what Christ means in the here and now. Okay, so that's great. Thank you for that. Come over.
2: Uh, um, oh. uh, ours was probably slightly controversial. Some of you may not agree with this, but hey. Um, We thought it was more of an It's coming about an excuse. So a lot of people have um, uh, some areas of Christianity have almost a view that were slightly bigoted. Don't know why that is, but I think it's because a few people have started using Christianity as an excuse to kind of put blinders on their own bigotry. So saying, oh, in the Bible, it says, you know, uh, sex between two men is wrong. Mm. You know, when it also says, love thy neighbor. So people are using Christianity as an excuse for their homophobia or their racism when reality, it's not. So basically in short of it, I think some people are using it as an excuse. And yeah.
1: Very good. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Very helpful. So, so they're
1: actually, that's a great point, that you can tie Christianity up to another ideological agenda that you have. You'll see this at election time in countries that are more Christian. And even in this country, it does happen. that People realize there's a lever they can pull. In the States, it's definitely the case that you need to get the what's called the evangelical vote. You need to get the Bible-believing Christians to vote for you, even if you're not a Bible-believing Christian. And to do that, you've got to pay a bit of lip service to Jesus Christ or Christianity in some tacit way. So that's great. Those contributions are really helpful, and they help anchor for us what it means to have Christianity as about Christ alone, salvation as being in Christ alone it has to be a front and center focus because it's easy for people and even for ourselves to shift the emphasis, to start moving things over. What I want to do now is just to move us back to the 500 years ago story and to talk again about Luther. And I'm going to just give you a potted biography this morning and uh, hopefully it's of use to you. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you could say about this guy, and there's, there's a few biopics that exist. Um, there's another one, I believe, coming out this year, um, and his story is fascinating, but I'm going to just try and give you some edited highlights here. So he was born in 1483 in Germany, and he, he was born into an uh, affluent middle-class family. His father was a miner. Um, that's not to say he was underage. His father was a miner. He went down mines and uh, he, he put all of his money into trying to elevate the social position of his son. He wanted him to go to university to be a lawyer, which he did. He started going into studies to do that. Um, and, he, you know, things were looking good. It was looking like the Luther family were on track to, you know, upper middle class bliss. But a funny thing happened to Luther on his way home from university while he was studying law. Not funny from his perspective. In 1505... He was on his way home uh, from his penultimate year at university, and he got stuck in a lightning storm. And to you and I, that might not sound like too much, he's stuck in a lightning storm. But he literally thought the judgment of God was coming upon him. This is his own testimony. He, He said, I was walking home, and I thought, actually, God's come to get me. This is because he had an understanding of the righteousness of God as being the justice of God. The, the word is actually the same in Greek. Righteousness and justice are the same word. So then if you read something like Romans 1, where it says, the righteousness of God is now being revealed from heaven, you and I might read that and be, great, the righteousness of God's being revealed. Now reread it as, the justice of God is being revealed. and you And you don't really know much about that God because the services you go to don't tell you much about that God. You don't know about a God of mercy, a God of grace. You just hear the justice of God's coming, and then you're walking home in your your lightning storm, you put two and two together, he said he ended up crying out, Saint Anne, save me, Saint Anne, save me. That might seem like not the first port of call if you're caught in a lightning storm and you think God's come to get you, but for him it was. Saint Anne was the patron saint of minors, Uh, so would have been the patron saint of the Luther household, his his father being a miner. And so he cried out to her, because it, under the system that he knew, you, you, you don't go straight to God. You don't go straight to Christ, even. You, 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 you have to go through intermediaries. You have to pray to Mary. You have to pray to the saints. Uh, those of you who go to Catholic schools or have been to Catholic schools or been around Catholic churches, you know this kind of method that goes on, that there's, there, there are people who stand in the gap for you, but apart from Christ, That's all important. So he cried out, St. Anne, save me. St. Anne, save me. I'll become a monk. And that was the killer line. Then the storm passed. (laughs) And so he was left with having to go home and explain to his father who wanted him to be a lawyer that he was actually going to become a monk. And he didn't become like a luxurious monk. That sort of thing existed at the time. He went to become what's called an Augustinian monk, which, uh, you know, poverty, chastity, full nine yards. You you know, you're not in it for the thrills at that point. You, You are in it for the for the devoted life, and he was lucky enough to have a, um, a mentor uh, called Dr. Stalpitz, Dr. Stalpitz, who was an incredibly godly man who actually understood the true gospel and really helped Luther. Luther spent years in a crisis in himself, feeling that he could never be good enough for God. He had a crisis of conscience. Uh, even as a monk, he would go and confess for hours on end. Do you know what confessing is? where you go to see uh, your superior, you go to see, in Catholic Church, you go to see the priest. In, in a monastery, you go to see your mentor, the, the, uh, the one to whom you confess your sins. And his, his uh, father confessor got so worn out, he just said to him, look, why do you keep coming to me? Come back when you've actually got something to confess. Because you know? Luther would go away and immediately feel dirty again, feel, I can't be good enough for this righteous God. I, he didn't know anything about a God of mercy, so he went back to confess again and again. He says this, he says, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. He says that, he's like, I, I monked it to the maximum. I, 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 I went as monkey as you can, full monk. But he's, he put, he's pointing out as he writes, it's not enough, it's not enough. Because he realizes one thing about God, that he is holy. He realizes that he's, he, God is not pleasable by anything other than absolute holiness. And he has an alarming sense of his own unholiness. But he realized, as he, as he was sent by his mentor to go and translate the New Testament and to, lear, to learn in the original languages, the, uh, he, he eventually translated it, but he was sent off to learn Greek and Hebrew and to read the New and Old Testaments to do the study necessary, he started realizing, man, God's done an amazing thing. He basically started reclaiming the gospel. The the thing that you and I completely take for granted all the time, that it is great news, glorious joy for the whole world, for everyone who believes. He started getting that, and it was like the light went on. He says, Christ was given, not for trivial or imaginary transgressions, but for mountainous sins. Not for one or two, but for all. Not for sins that can be discarded, but for sins that are stubbornly ingrained. He put two and two together. Yes, I'm so sinful that I'd have to confess all day, every day, and I still wouldn't get there. But Christ was given for that sort of sin. Christ wasn't given just because I was a bit naughty or I dreamt about a girl or something like that. He's given because he's be given because in my soul I am completely tainted, and He's completely pure. He has given Himself for me—an exchange. He's given his righteousness for my sinfulness. And in Christ, I am as righteous as Christ before the Father. No saints, no praying to the mother of God. I've got access. I've been brought into the most holy place. That must have been amazing for that light to go on. And friends, what I want you to see is that everyone you know, pretty much bar none, goes around in the same kind of darkness, whether they call themselves a Christian or not. People lose this so quickly. You lose, it, you lose your joy as a Christian, that's what we call it. But what you're really losing is the in Christ aloneness of the gospel. And then that's not to say anything of all your friends who, who go around in complete darkness and misinformation, thinking that Christianity is about one of those other things, good tea and good coffee. Well, maybe not, but they probably do think it's about bigotry and being mean to people. That's a terrible thing, right? Right? That is terrible, terrible misinformation. If, you, if it's this, life in all its fullness, literally what you were made for, whoever you are, fulfillment, joy, stress being lifted, all these other kind of things, and you're thinking that it's actually about bigotry and hurting people and doing people down, we have got a job to do in doing another reformation, in doing a redressing of the perception of christianity not just not just to make, make a wrong right not that, you know that's good reason in itself but because it is good news it's good news we want people to receive the news that they were designed for luther says this um, he says i remember how dr Stalpitz used to say to me i've promised god a thousand times that i'd become a better man but i never kept my promise from now on i'm not going to make any more vows experience has taught me that I can't keep them. Unless God is merciful to me for Christ's sake and grants me a blessed departure, I shan't be able to stand before him. And Luther reflects on what his uh, mentor said. He says, his was a God-pleasing despair. Think about that, a God-pleasing despair. It's one thing for me to say to you, you need to trust in God. But that's only half the story. You need to despair of yourself to trust in God. Now, I'm not advising like, rampant depression for everyone. I'm saying don't trust in yourself. Like, you, can't, you can't hold on to you and hold on to him. To trust God, you have to say, okay, I've, I've stopped trusting me. Like Stalpitz says there, I made so many promises to be a better man. I'm giving up on that. I'm not going to make any more promises. It's a temptation at a week like this for you to come and make loads more promises. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be a better woman. I'm going to, I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be more careful, whatever. Let me just advise you against them right now, even the ones you made last night. I would say to you, trust Christ. Trust only in him. This is what he says. He says, experience has taught me I couldn't keep them unless, unless this is the unless, unless God is merciful to me for Christ's sake. And he's not saying, for Christ's sake, as in an exclamation. He's saying, unless God is merciful to me, not because of me, but because of Jesus, then I've got no hope. Now, that can feel like you're stepping out on a ledge. And of course you are. But it's the right ledge. If you step out on the ledge of me doing well and God coming to top me up with a bit more grace, that's the wrong ledge. Let me tell you, that's the wrong ledge. You're never going to get high enough. You're never going to go far enough. But on this one, what he says is absolutely true. Unless God is merciful to me for Christ's sake and grants unto me a blessed departure, that means a blessed death, unless God lets me go and I am held by Christ, I shan't be able to stand before him. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And this can be the antidote to the kind of bigotry thing as well, presenting uh, Christianity and Christ as a bigoted and bad choice. Well, what neutralizes that more than saying, no, I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in my life or my righteousness. I'm as bad as you, friend. I'm, as, I'm worse than you. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. I'm, I'm literally the worst. But he's the best. And I'm in him by the will of God. It's God who's put me in Christ so that I'll be righteous before him. He's purified me. He's made me right. He's made me whole. That's the kind of theology that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. Let's do another question. been very good listening to all of that. That's good. Right. The second one, and I think that I, this was hinted at earlier, and this is definitely implicit in the salvation is only in Christ. It's not in other people. It's not in me. But that it's not in other people bit can be very offensive to people because what you're saying is salvation, rightness, rightness with God is not in any other path in life. And that can sound hugely judgmental. I want you to discuss uh, how can we share Christ as the only way? And you might want to say, should we share Christ as the only way? I'm going to say yes up front. Those are my cards on the table. But your conversation is your conversation. How can we share Christ as the only way and still listen well to other opinions? Because I think that's important as well. How can we still listen well? You might want to say otherwise, you want to say, no, it's not important to listen to other opinions. We've got a steamroller that gospel on. I'm interested to hear from you as well, okay? But however it goes, how can we share Christ as the only way and still listen well to other opinions? Back in your groups, give it five minutes and then feedback to me. Thank you. Is there anyone who wants to come and share on this question of how can we share Christ as the only way and still listen to the opinions of ours? Come on up.
2: Uh, so I think that John 4 is a really good example of how to do that, actually. Um, this is the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And um, when they first get talking, actually, they're not talking about Jesus or the gospel. They're talking about the things that concern the woman. Um,
1: you know, they, they talk about her physical thirst. They talk about her multiple failed marriages. They talk about gender roles. They talk about religious divisions. And so initially, it's about her concerns. But what Jesus then reveals is that actually
2: they're they're almost small parts of the gospel and he is the completion of them. He is the one who will heal the religious divisions. Uh, He is the one who will forgive her adultery. Um, And so I I think it's really good to um, actually listen to where people come from and then explain to them, actually, Jesus is more often than not the solution and the completion of your worldview.
1: Superb. Thank you so much. That's really great. That, that doesn't, doesn't that explain things well? I, actually, everyone is working with a functional view of what heaven is, a functional view of what's wrong with the world, and a functional view of how that can be fixed. And if you can get those questions out of someone, you can speak to them about their answers to them, and then you can say how, actually, you know, you've got a fragment of truth here, but Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I can show you how he makes better sense of life. But you have to be able to hear people out, on their own terms and in their own world, in their own worldview, that's superb. Thanks so much. Anyone else got something to share? Yeah, please come up.
0: Um, I just wanted to say that I thought like it was really important to like constantly discreetly show God and like your character so that people can like see what's different about you and then they'll like come and ask you like why are you so happy or why are you always good or like full of joy and you can share about like because of Jesus and what he's done for you so yeah thank you
1: amen brilliant that's so important to realize that actually theology isn't a dry and cerebral subject it's something that's lived out. And if, if you believe the stuff that you're reasoning about, the stuff that you're talking about, as you think about the God of Jesus Christ, the God of the gospel, it needs to be shown in your life. You can't be there saying, you really need to love people. You need to be showing the love. You need to be actually bringing the gentleness and the grace of the gospel in gentle and gracious ways. And, and the challenge of the gospel in challenging ways as well. But that's great. That's so helpful. Thank you for... Uh, rounding that out for us as well. It, you know, it, it's got gospel precedent as well, isn't it? You let your light shine. You don't put it under a bush. We don't hide what you are, but you do make it intelligible to people. You make it so they can actually get a hold on what's going on. They don't just think that you're nuts. Okay, that's really helpful. And, um, I think, I think that you're grasping the, the pinch point of this salvation by Christ alone for us in the here and now. And it's a different one from what it was then. Do you, do you hear the problem? And actually, this will come up throughout the week. Actually, the principle underneath it's still the same, but the way it works out is differently. For them, it was that they were all trying to get to God, right? They were all trying to get to God in different and various ways and, and ways that were idolatrous and dishonoring. Our idolatries are completely different in our culture. They don't usually involve trying to get to God, but they do involve trying to get the goods that people would have viewed as being only in God, okay? So working with those ideas is important. Let's just go through a few scriptures here and um, um, ground some of this in Christ alone out because it's all well and good to talk about doctrinal patterns and formulas, but we want to actually talk about how it comes out of scripture Glenn will be speaking to us about scripture alone later in the week. And it really makes sense that we don't just come up with nice schemes. We come up with scriptural schemes because it's the word of God. So here, John 14:6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So uncompromising and so vivid, so clear that he's saying, don't look there, don't look to yourself, don't look to your performance as the medievals were. Don't look outside to other doctrines and other ways of life as we do in in our modern West and self-salvation and self-improvement. Despair of yourself and trust in him. That's what he's saying here. And he's sovereign. He's so sovereign that actually everyone, every human being who is ever going to stand before the throne of God in righteousness, whether they lived before the time of Christ, at the time of Christ, or after, are saved through Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is God's solution. And people from before the time of Christ will have seen that from afar, but they won't have known what they were trusting in. They were trusting in the salvation of Yahweh, which is actually the name of Jesus. So God has revealed even more to us. We live at a very advantaged time. Next scripture, Acts 4.12. In the preaching of the apostles, they say, The salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Again, that issue of the name the salvation of Yahweh, that's what Jesus, Jesus' name means, the Lord's salvation. And the apostles are saying here that salvation is found in no other, other name because there's this revelation that's been made. Actually, we live in the time of the greater revelation when God's actually shown you how he's going to do the saving. Prior to that, he said, I'm going to do the saving. I'm going to do the rescue. I'm going I'm to call all of you out and I'm going to make you right before myself. And as the the reality of his holiness struck these people, it must have been unthinkable. How is he going to make us right before him? But he had a righteous way to make righteous the unrighteous. And the uh, the announcements, the preaching of the apostles that they gave as they went around the Mediterranean preaching this stuff was actually, look, it's all been revealed. He's shown you now. It's been completed in Jesus Christ. Uh, This last scripture here, 1 Timothy 2, five. For there's one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's such a powerful verse and again it makes me think what Luther must have thought when he was translating it, when he was interacting with it. Having prayed out so earnestly, Saint Anne, save me, save me. Now he's reading this. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one who mediates and he himself is God. So in a sense, salvation is completely immediate. That doesn't mean that it turns up straight away. It means it's not mediated. It means that God literally comes to you. That On that point, Christianity is completely unique. That God comes to you. And he doesn't just come to you as a notion. He comes to you as a person. And he makes it real. He makes his salvation real. He makes the assurance of your cleanliness real. He has cleansed you. He's sacrificed himself. He's given himself for you. I'm, I just am amazed at what Luther must have thought because he, he, that would reconfigure everything he thought. He thought, I have to go through these rituals. I have to go through these cleansings. I have to go through these confessions. I have to go through these saints to get to the throne of God. And even then, I'm not sure I want to be there because he's holy and I know that I'm not. What a relief when he reads this, when he sees there's one mediator and he's been graciously given to you. He's been sacrificed for you. He's been given to the utmost to be your Lord. Your Lord loves you. That's amazing. I've got, um, I've got like a little sample chapter here from a book by, uh, by my friend Edward Rhodes. He's a lecturer on my course, the internship in Brighton. Uh, and he lectures in church history. And what he's been doing over this last year is putting together his lectures in a form uh, suitable for young adults, basically. So he wants to take the the, ch- the history of the church and these kind of truths that we're workshopping here this morning, and he wants to give a whole span throughout church history. What I've managed to do is get to get from the publishers just the chapter on the Reformation, so it's only a little thin thing, and um, they're all... Uh, up here, if anyone wants a copy you can take one away and have a free copy of that, it gives the Luther story in a bit more detail and it gives you some other stuff on the Reformation so do avail yourself of that I just want to read this quote from a book that I read recently uh, called Unapologetic by Francis Spufford brilliant name, Uh, definitely the sweariest Christian book I've ever read so if you're sensitive to that kind of thing you might not like it it's subtitled, Why Despite Everything Christianity Can Still Make Surprising Emotional Sense it's great Really good stuff. He's a, he's a journalist by profession, and um, he writes really well, if a bit potty mouth. Uh, he says this about, um, about Christianity and how it sits in the sphere of world religions and Abrahamic religions in particular. He says, in Judaism and Islam, you don't have to be a saint to know that you're managing to be an adequately good woman, an adequately good man. Islam and Judaism accomplish this livability, this wearability, this sustainability by paying more attention to what people do than to what they feel about it. They're religions of orthopraxy, that means right doing, not orthodoxy, which means right thinking or right teaching. Do the actions, and you can be hissing and spitting inside, or bored senseless, or going through the motions to please your family, and it still counts. Virtue has been achieved. But Christianity does something different. It makes, frankly, impossible demands. Instead of asking for specific actions, it offers general but lunatic principles. It thinks you should give your possessions away, refuse refuse to defend yourself, love strangers as much as your family, behave as if there's no tomorrow. And that's not all. Christianity also makes what you mean by your behavior all important. You could pauperize yourself, get slapped silly without fighting back, care for lepers, and laugh all day long in the face of future markets, and it still wouldn't count if you did it for the wrong reasons. But now notice the consequence of having an ideal behavior not sized for human lives. Everyone fails. Really, everyone. It's a level playing field. And this, I think, is really good news for when it comes to communicating this truth, this seemingly obnoxious truth about salvation being in Christ alone. What you have to point out to people is actually, I'm talking about what God's done. I'm not talking about my belief being superior to yours. I'm not talking about the rival conceptions of how the world works. I'm saying that God has invaded, God's come in, God's done this. I'm not guilty, I'm the messenger. I'm just bringing you the news, but you need to know that the news is the good news. It's great good news for you that salvation, that righteousness, that all those other good things that people look for in life are, are to be found only outside of you. They're not to be found by any of your good believing or your good doing or anything. They're found outside of you, and at the merest invitation, they will come in and become the reality of your life, and reconfigure you around the God who is. So, that's our thought for the day. Uh, We're going to be back tomorrow, and Andrew's going to be with us, and he's going to be speaking about salvation being by grace alone. He's going to talk to you about the reformer Aldrich Zwingli, and it's a great story, and you're going to really enjoy that. Let me just pray for us as we go. And and as I say, please do avail yourself of one of these if if you want to take one. Any questions as well, I'll stick around for a bit, and you're very welcome to ask those. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you so much that we can come to you now that the curtain has been torn, that we can come right into the most holy place where the most holy God sits, knowing that we have been made most holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way. We come in with full assurance and confidence in you. Lord, I want to pray your blessing on each one here listening to to us this morning. I want to pray it on each of us as we go through our week. I pray you'd speak. I pray that you would upset our lives and reconfigure them. Though it's not comfortable, it's right and it's acceptable and it's joy and it's life and all its fullness. I want to pray that for each one. You speak to them and you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.